0: You know, if you look around you here at Grace Baptist Church, you'll find people from many, many different life experiences and life backgrounds, won't you? And um, it doesn't seem at first maybe there's so much in common, you know? Uh, we come from different dialect groups, we come from a different educational backgrounds, so on and so forth. But you know, there's one thing that we all have in common, and that is that we all came into this world the same way least, I'm pretty sure of that. Most of us came, all of us came in here as newborn babies, okay? We all came in as newborn babies. Now, I have to admit, some of us were a little bigger than others, and some of us even had a little more hair than others when we came in as babies, but we all came into our physical families as babies. We also share another common experience, and that is that, as we all know, babies are supposed to grow up. Thank God, thank God that they all grow up. They mature and slowly begin to think and live as fully grown, uh, mature adults. Okay? So that seems to be the way of nature. That seems to be the way of the humans. This is the way that we progress. And in much the same way, that happens in our spiritual life. That happens in our spiritual life. When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, the Bible says we are born again into the family of God, spiritually. We are spiritual babies. When we, uh, then we begin the journey to becoming spiritually mature adults. At least we cross our fingers and hope so, okay? And so that seems to be the normal way. Now... The question then becomes, what are the marks of a spiritually mature believer in Christ? How do we distinguish them from those who are still spiritual babies? Now, this passage was a little difficult because you don't want to imply that everybody is a spiritual baby at this point in time. All right, But we're all in the process of growing. We're all in the process of maturing. And some of us maybe perhaps have been Christians, have been children of God for a really long time. And, well, our progress has been a little slow, to put it, you know, to say it the least, okay? And so others of us have been perhaps children of God, and we have been only for a short period of time. But it seems like we've grown by leaps and bounds. That seems to be the case also in some instances, so God helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, to understand the differences between the mature believer and the less mature believer, from the spiritual uh, grown-up and the spiritual infant. And so that's where we're going to go today. What are those marks? Now, before we begin, it helps to understand the background of the Christians at Corinth, okay? And some of you have been with us in the series, and you probably have this all memorized already, but, you know, please uh, allow us to help others who have not been here the whole time. Now, the city of Corinth was a very prominent center for paganism. It was a prominent center. How do we know? Well, they had this huge temple complex that was dedicated to the worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Who was the Greek goddess of Aphrodite? She was only the goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. The temple was infamous for its temple prostitutes. And that seemed to overflow to the rest of the city. It was like kind of a wide open. It was the wild, wild west, as you might possibly say. Anything went. Anything was permissible. Anything could go. And so this was the city of Corinth. Now, the reputation of the Corinth and Corinthians who are from there was really notorious. If you wanted to insult somebody, you called them a Corinthian. If you wanted to insult them, you call them a Corinthian. It's very opposite. If you want to compliment somebody, you call them a Singaporean. Right? Isn't that the way it works? Okay. But Corinthians, uh uh-uh. Man, that was boo, you know. And so that's what happened there. Now... Problems began to abound in the church. How and when? Well, people at Corinth began to respond to the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they became Christians. But the problem was they held on to their old patterns of thinking and living. And so what they did was they brought those patterns into the church. So as they began to interact with each other, they were reverting back to their old ways instead of resorting to the new ways in Christ. And so this created a lot of problems in the church. In other words, they believed and behaved more like Corinthians instead of followers of Christ, okay? So you get the picture. You get the picture. So here it is. You got these people who are more like the world, who are now trying to enter into the world of God, the world of the church of the church. Now, I must say that when we become believers, it's not easy to change our ways of thinking and living for the ways of God. Would you all agree? Yes, you would. Because you can probably remember your own journey. You didn't all of a sudden move from being um, a sinner to a saint, okay? Some people probably said, you know, when you first became a Christian, I didn't even, I, I, I didn't see any difference. I didn't see any change in you, that's probably the comment that a lot of people made. I know that was what my mother said about me. She said, you say you're a Christian. You've accepted Christ, but I see no difference in you, you know? And so it took a while to catch on how important that was, all right? And so uh, instead, in, in due time, though, we will prayerfully and humbly make progress and become more like our Savior, Okay? Now, I must say, the road to spiritual maturity is not an easy one, but it is the right one. But it is the right one. And it's one that we ought to strive to travel and to complete. All right? Don't give up on it. Just because maybe the progress hasn't been as fast or as good as you and I would like it to be. All right? But we must uh, strive to travel this road to spiritual maturity. Now, again... We can measure our progress by the marks given to us in God's Word, okay? That's what brings us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, what are the marks of a spiritually mature person? What are the marks or characteristics of a spiritually immature person, okay? What is the marks of a a spiritual grown-up versus that of a spiritual infant, okay? That's where we're going. So look at uh, 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 First Corinthians chapter three, verses one to nine. And so we start off by looking at the diet of a spiritual grown-up compared to uh, a spiritual infant. OK? Now Paul starts out, look at verse one. he says, "And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, could not speak to you as, uh, to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ." I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. Wow, what an indictment that was. What an indictment that was. And so the spiritual man, he described in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, the verses just above it. And one of the distinctives of the spiritual uh, uh, man is the person, he has the mind of Christ. He has the mind of Christ. He, he he craves to obey and to uh, uh, be everything that God has revealed uh, to him uh, about being and doing. Now, instead, in verses one to two, we realize that the Corinthians were just the opposite. They were just the opposite. How do we you know that? Well, look at the terms that he uses. Those are underlined for you in the verses. They were men of flesh in verse one. Okay. That means that they were controlled by the desires of their fleshly natures. They were dominated by the thinking and things of the world. Okay? So instead of thinking about what would please God or what God would be thinking about, they were totally immersed in their world, their fleshly world. And they were subject to the lusts and desires thereof. In verse 1, it also says he called them infants in Christ. They were very young in their spiritual development. Although some time had passed. Although some time had passed. But in the whole scheme of things, they were infants. They were babies. Then in verse 2, he goes on to describe me. He says, he had to feed him milk and not solid food. What was this all about? Okay? When Paul first came and shared the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins and rising again from the grave. And making possible forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. This was revelational. But this was so basic. This was so basic. And Paul drilled this into them. And many came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So instead of being separ- eternally separated from God, they were now eternally linked to God. Now, that's a wonderful piece of news right there. So, but there was so much more that he wanted to share with them. There was so much more. Like, for example... If you read the writings of Paul, the other letters that he wrote, and even in Corinthians, you'll find out that he delves into the themes and topics like justification. I know that's a big word. You can barely spell it. You can barely say it, okay? But justification is how they were made righteous before God, how they could be made righteous. How could God take a sinful person like me and you and declare us righteous, okay? Boy, that's pretty deep stuff. And then he probably wanted to share with them the doctrines of sanctification, how to live a holy life and why. And then there's probably that all-time favorite, redemption. He wanted so badly that everybody would understand the great redemption that we have or deliverance from the penalty of sin. But he couldn't get to those. Why? Because they were not ready. They were not able to receive it. They wanted milk. One person put it this way. "Is that they seem to want more Bible stories, but not Bible doctrines. You see? And have you ever noticed that about people sometimes? People always love the Bible stories and thank God for them. But behind those stories are rich truths and deep truths of God that really can bless our soul when we see the extent that God has gone to in order to redeem us or to set us aside. And so these are the kinds of things that Paul wanted to say to them and teach them, but they couldn't do it. They were happy with the milk. Spiritually mature grown-ups need, want, and can handle solid spiritual food, while the spiritually immature Stay on a diet of spiritual milk, okay? And so this becomes a a hallmark of the people. And so ask yourself the question, how would I rate my progress towards becoming a spiritual grown-up? Do I want? Do I understand? Do I try to understand the deeper truths of God? Or... Like most people, we just say, ah, it's irrelevant, it's impractical, it has, no, it has no application to my life. But they do, but they do, all right? And so, that is one of the distinguishing factors. Now, Paul goes on to a second characteristic of the spiritually immature, and he, highlight, he does this by highlighting the behavior of a spiritual grown-up compared to a spiritual infant, Okay, look at uh, verse 3, for example. In verse 3, this is he's describing them now. Uh, Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men, he says, for you are still fleshly. means controlled by the flesh, have fleshly outlook on life. And usually, when the word flesh is used in the Bible, it usually refers to a very strong tendency and a very strong movement towards self centeredness, self sufficiency, and independence from God. Boy, that describes a lot of stuff that goes on in our life, doesn't it? All of us. Is that if we're under the control of the flesh, we will be this way, we will be self centered, We we will be thinking of ourselves as self-sufficient and independent of God. But Paul was not one to make wild accusations without proof. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He's a Jewish lawyer. So he carefully builds the case against them. How did he build the case? Well, if you looked at verse 3, he also said that uh, there is jealousy and strife among you. Now, the word jealousy literally means envy. This is an extreme form of selfishness, envy, okay? And Paul points out the envy among them and the strife that results from it. Mark my words, whenever there is jealousy, whenever there is envy in the crowd, the only result is strife and conflict. That's the first thing that happens. That's one of the first things that happens. It's almost like little children fussing and fighting over uh, different things. Um, I had a little experience with that. And so when I watch my children growing up, it's really funny to watch what they'll fight over, okay? They'll fight over the smallest thing from a little, little, little crayon. They'll fight like tooth and nail, like their life depended on it, you know, that kind of thing. And then sometimes it's bigger things. It's their favorite stuffed animal or something like that. And they'll fight again, just like as if their life depended on it, okay? Because they're envious, they want it, or they'll take the, other, the younger child's uh, plaything, and they want it. They want to hang on to it, okay? So this is the picture that we get. There's jealousy and strife among you. And said in verse 4, he makes this uh, charge against them. Uh, when he calls them, he says, you're... Uh, 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 walking or living like mere men in verse 3. Then he says, for when one says, I am of of, of Apoll and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men, he says. In other words, they're acting like non-believers. They're acting like non-believers. If we saw people that were not believers in Christ, and they behaved this way, fussing and feuding over the littlest thing, you know, all the time, jealousy and envious of each other. We'd say, that's about par. That's about par. But when we see God's people doing that, there's a problem here. There is really a problem here. And so they were walking like mere men, living according to the ways of men. Proof, I am of Paul. And another, I am of Paulus. What was that? It was favoritism and it was factionalism. It's almost like I'm for Clinton, I'm from Trump. All right? You know? And you see these people and they go crazy at these rallies. They go, you want know to get a good conversation going? I just go to the coffee shop and they say, Where are you from? Because of the way I talk. And they'll say, I'll say, from America, and they'll say, Who are you for? You know? And and I'll say, actually, if I had a choice, I wouldn't vote for either one of them. You know? It's, it's kind of the lesser of two evils kind of a thing. How how much evil do you want? If you want this much evil, you take this one. you want that much evil, you take that one. All right? But that's what was happening here. There was favoritism. There was factionalism that was going on. This was the order of the day. Why? Because they were immature Christians. Now, I don't mean to step on any toes here, but let me share with you my experience. Okay? Let me share with you my experience. It's been my experience that I have seen envy or jealousy And strife, tear apart pastoral staffs, boards, committees, ministry teams, and even care groups. Have you ever seen that? I've seen it. I've seen it more than I care to. But I've seen it happen. And it happens as people take sides and insist on their way as the only way. So instead of humbly submitting to God's precepts and principles and working together in love and unity... Believers fall prey to, the following, to to following the ways of the flesh. And what would be the ways of the flesh? Well, they resort to manipulation. They resort to intimidation. They resort to uh, all kinds of ways to exert their control over the group. And you know, all that results in is stunted spiritual growth. Nobody goes anywhere. Okay? Why? Because we're too busy trying to either defend ourselves or try to go on the offensive against the next person. And this was what was happening in the church at Corinth. Okay, People were just so locked into this. The jealousy and envy. And so the selfish behavior. Spiritually mature grown-ups will behave selflessly while the spiritually immature Will behave selfishly. Got the difference? You got the difference between the two? Big difference. Really a big, big, big difference. Okay? And so those are the two characters. That's the second characteristic that he gave. The first one is the ability to handle solid spiritual food, this one is to behave in an unselfish way. Now, he makes one more comparison. One more comparison. And this has to do with the understanding of a spiritual grown-up compared to a spiritual infant. And this is found in verses 5 through 9. So, what does he say there, uh, for example? Uh, you can tell a spiritually mature grown-up by his view of those who serve God. Wow. You know that. How important is that? I mean... I look at people serving God, maybe in my church, maybe in my care group, maybe on the mission, one of our missionaries, and so on and so forth. And I say, what's wrong with looking at them as heroes of the faith and all of that kind of stuff? Okay, well, let's see how this develops. He says here that the spiritually immature Corinthian Christians did not understand who a servant of God really was. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. And to look at that, I have to put on these glasses. Okay. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Apollos and Paul. Wow. Two gigantic uh, heroes of the faith. They were merely instruments that God used to bring the good news of salvation to the Corinthians. But it was God who gave them the opportunity. It is God and God alone who saves. He's the one that draws people to himself. He's the one that opens the heart so they can see the grace and the mercy and respond positively to it. Yes, Paulus and Paul, they played a major role. They were eloquent beyond imagination, especially Apollos. You know, Paul could have been really envious of Apollos. Because scripture describes Apollos as head and shoulders above everybody when it came to talking, you know? But he says, no, no, we were merely there at the right place at the right time, serving God. And then if you look at verses 6 through 7, he goes on further and he says, I planted, Apollo watered. but God was causing the growth, So. Then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Again, what is he trying to say? Yeah, we had our roles. We had our roles and we had our responsibility to play. And we fulfilled them to the best of our abilities for the Lord. But ultimately, it was God who gave the growth amongst these people. And then... He goes on to say in verse 8, he says this. He says, now, he who plants and he who waters are one. We're one unit. We're one team. Okay? But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Don't worry about us. We are going to be, while we work as a team, we will be rewarded individually for our efforts and for our labor. Don't worry about us. We will be rewarded individually. And then he jumps down to verse 9, and what does Paul say there? For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building. We are fellow workers, fellow workers of, of, uh, of God. And so this is something that is really special. The immature Christians were focusing more on the men who served God Instead of the God whom they served. You ever thought about that before? You ever thought about that before? God is the one who draws people to himself and he causes the spiritual growth. The pastor, staff, and members are all servants. We're fellow work, workers in God's fields. Okay? And so this is the plan of God. Okay? Now, I, I saw a disturbing a very disturbing trend in the United States, okay? And, and it really bothered me because what happened was that there was this huge explosion of the number of megachurches, okay? These are churches in multiples of thousands of people, all right? And, and, and over, almost overnight, almost overnight, the pastors of these churches became almost like Christian rock stars, you know? Everybody wanted to interview them. Everybody wanted their book. Everybody wanted their autograph in their book. Everybody wanted to go to their church. They wanted to hear and see them. I remember this one article that appeared in Christianity Today, and it said they interviewed the pastor who had the church on the road that led to Charles Swindoll's church. And he says, he recounted standing on the outside of his church and waving to people as they went past his church up to Charles Swindoll's church, okay? And he said, I had to learn. I had to learn who I was and be faithful to what God wanted me to be. But there's this disturbing trend, okay? Because uh, not only in America, but I think in other places as well, there is this harmful practice of referring to your church as the particular pastor's church. But ultimately, every church is God's church, right? It's not, GBC is not Pastor Arnold's church. It's not anybody's church. It's God's church. And here's the danger. The danger is that we can, um, if we're not careful, we allow the servant to block people's vision of the master. Whoa, whoa, are you serious, Pastor? I am serious. There are people, there are servants of God who are so prominent, who are so, so big. Their image, their their role, their character is so big, people can't see God. All they see is this person, you see? This is what I think the Corinthians had a little bit. They were so enamored, with Apollos and Paul and their strengths and all of that and their, 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 their expertise, they forgot about God. They forgot about God. But the spiritually mature ones understand that it is God behind all this. that it is God that's behind all this. So spiritually mature grown-ups will see God's servants as instruments and fellow workers of God from whom God gives the opportunity and the growth while the spiritually mature will see them quite differently. Will see them quite differently. So let me ask you a question. Of all the, as you have seen uh, the servants of God over the years, over the years, over the years, over the years, has God lost, has he been lost in the crowd? Has he somehow become insignificant? He ought not to be. He ought to be front and center. Okay? So, What does this mean to me and to the GBC family? Okay, what does this mean to you and the GBC family? Well, let me encourage all of us here to seek to move from milk to meat of God's word. Okay, let's do that. Boldly and courageously seek to understand what? Who God is. What he has done for you through the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, try, seek to understand what he thinks about you and about how you should live and why. It never stops. It never stops. As soon as you think that you've learned everything that God wants you to know, wow, he throws you a fastball. He says, You didn't get that, did you? Okay, go back. You got to go back and study this. You got to understand this. It is not the spiritual pursuit of knowledge just for knowledge's sake. But knowledge to build a life that will glorify God, resulting in blessing to others and to ourselves. All this stuff that God wants us to know and he is in the process of teaching us is not so that we can accumulate it in some mental notebook. All right? But rather, what he wants us to do is take that knowledge and let it affect our lives and let it build our lives so that we can be a blessing to others and to ourselves. So that's the first thing. Seek to move from milk to meat. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, when I went to seminary, one of the fearful things I had was I would meet these guys that were just brilliant, you know? And 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 I would hear the teacher, the professor teach on some deep doctrine of God, and I'm sitting there just kind of, what did he say? You know, how many syllables was that? You know? I turned to the guy next to me, I said, Did you understand that? And he turned around and said, Perfectly. And I look at I turned to the other guy, Did you understand what he said? This guy would say, Yeah, really well. He was really clear. You know, I'm going like this. What is it, you see? And after a while, if you experience that enough, you kind of sort of give up. You kind of sort of shrink back. And you said, I, 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 <laughs> I'll leave that to the scholars. I'll leave that to the professors, you know. Um, I, I just want to sing Jesus Loves Me, you know? Uh, that, you know, that I'm happy, you know, that kind of thing. But no, God said, no, these are important things that you ought to know. Because these are things someday that you will have the privilege of teaching others, Lord willing. And so this is why be bold and courageous. Don't shrink back just because you don't understand something the first time you hear it. Number two, seek true spiritual transformation of your character. Now, I am so pleased, so pleased that Paul did not stop at just verses one and two. Okay? He didn't stop there. He, he didn't talk about just keep going from milk to meat, okay? He didn't say, that's the end of it all. That's all I want you to do is learn more, learn more, learn more. What did Paul do? Paul was led of the Lord to go on and say, now let it affect your life. Let it change your life. Let it change your character. Want more than just knowledge to go to a higher level and go to a higher level by Applying that knowledge and allowing it to transform your heart and your life. Who are you and what is it that you do? Allow the truths of God to transform who you are and why you do what you do. All right? That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Okay? Okay? I never wanted people to hear me preach and never walk away with saying, I gotta do something about my life. My life can be a whole lot better. How? By being obedient to the Lord. What do I got to do in my life to make that happen? Okay? Look at uh, some verses. For example, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says, For he who thinks, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. You and me. A lot of who we are is based upon how we think, okay? It's based on how we think, but our thinking has to be changed. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, so we have to let the word of God change the way we think. The way we think, then we'll change the way who we are and what we do. Got it? You see? And then the last one, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. This is the, this is the, 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 the prize at the end of the rainbow. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice... In other words, they took what they learned and they practice it, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, isn't that something? Isn't that something? Have you ever sat there yourself and been in a situation where you're saying, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? It comes from the word of God that saturates and changes our thinking, and it changes our heart. That's how it works. So, seek spiritual transformation of your character. Third thing, and the last. See yourself as God's fellow worker. See yourself as God's fellow worker. See yourself as one whom God gives opportunities and growth. See your role as to be faithful. Okay? You know, people sometimes, especially I think those in, in ministry, And and, and you could be a care group leader and and, and other kind of ministries in the church. You're you're just like us, okay? You're just like us, okay? I, I maybe have a little bit bigger platform than you do and things like that, but we're all the same. We're all serving the Lord. But do we see ourselves really as fellow workers with God? We take it so hard when we don't see fruit from our ministry, right? We take it so hard. And then we forget that we are fellow workers with God. And it is God who gives the increase. It is God who causes the growth. He's the one that gives the opportunities. you see? But we take it so much on ourselves, and we say, oh, not many people are coming to my care group anymore. Oh, not so many people are growing from what I'm teaching. Oh, so many people this, so many people. This. I want more. I want numbers. I want to be able to stand up in front of the church and say, you know, my, church, my, my group grew from uh, two people to 22 people all in, you know, 24 hours, right? Come on. Come on. We are fellow workers with God in God's field, Okay. So, get over ourselves. Wrapping it all up, the Corinthians Christians were immature infants in Christ for way too long, way, way too long. Their diet, behavior, and view of God's servants revealed their lack of maturity. Hmm. So, improve your diet. I know you hear that all the time, right? I know you hear that all the time. But improve your spiritual diet. Go from milk to meat. Go for it. Elevate our behavior above being just mere men. Okay? Be spiritual, men. Be spiritual. Lastly, conform your view of God's servants to God's view. (sighs) Ah, got it. Got it. Okay, pastor, I think I'm ready to go. I I got a direction to go in. Good. I hope that that's exactly how you leave here. And I hope you'll do something about it and keep on going. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together, your word is so precious. In fact, sometimes we're very much amazed at how much it speaks truth to us. In a world where truth is so subjective, we forget that it is your objective truth That leads the way. You are not one to mince the truth. You are not one to. Soften the words. Just to make our ears. More ready to listen. You tell us like it is. And so father. As we sit before you. As we sit with our heads bowed. May we confess to you. That perhaps. Some of us have remained spiritual infants way too long. Way too. Let us confess to you that our behaviors are suspect. And Father, we rationalize them away and we tell ourselves everybody else is doing it. We tell ourselves all kinds of things only in order to hide the truth. And that is that we are not behaving as grown up as we should. Father, help us, Lord, when we have given into that temptation that so easily besets all humans, hero worship. That Father, it's easier for us to identify with a man than with God. Help us to see through the man and to the God behind them. And Father, may we love and appreciate you more than ever. Thank you, Father, for your precious word to us today and the blessings that await us if we will heed them. In Jesus' name, amen.